you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Live in the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Our traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Guy Donnie. We're also joined again tonight by Mark Tepper, president of Strategic Wealth Partners. The busiest day of the earnings season is officially in the books, and there are a ton of after-hours movers, Visa, Intel, Gilead, all on our radar tonight. We'll have the very latest from each of their quarters. But we begin with the stock to watch in the after-hours, and that would be Amazon, the tech giant falling hard after reporting an earnings miss. We've got full team coverage standing by to break down the results. Fast Money friend Gene Munster is getting ready to fire up the old red phone in Minneapolis. But we kick things off with more on Amazon's big quarter. Josh Lipton is live for us in San Francisco. Josh. So, Melissa, besides the bottom and top, obviously investors are going to concentrate on this Q4 guidance. It is light, calling between 80 and 86.5 billion. The street was at 87.4 billion. Um, obviously, uh, for investors, that's critical, right? Q4, the holiday quarter. Um, I did just have a call with Amazon CFO Brian Olsavsky. Um, he hosted a media call. Um, there are some one-time items he did mention, which are going to weigh on on Q4. Just for example, he, he mentioned a consumption tax kicking in Japan went from eight to ten percent. That created, he said some pre-buying, in his words, in September, that will have a net negative impact in Q4. Um, but the central question for investors is going to be uh, the bottom line guidance. Now, that was well below what the street was looking for. On that call, um, he fielded a lot of questions about that. Um, is it all one-day shipping? And he made it clear um, they are in investment mode. They do believe that's where they need to be. There's a lot of cost in the short run. Um, he clearly believes that's where Amazon needs to be. And he says there's already evidence that it's paying off. Very good increase, he said, in purchase behavior from Prime members. Uh, they're buying more products more often, but obviously weighing on the bottom line. AWS, uh, I talked about uh, that too with, with uh, Mr. Osofsky. Um, listen, it came in growth rate 35%. That was a sequential tick down, $9 billion. That's uh, lighter than what the street was looking for. The guys at Baird, I know, were looking for around $9.1 billion. Um, I did question him about those some growth rates. He says, bottom line, they're happy with the progress. It's on a $36 billion run rate, up $9 billion year over year. AWS, he says, leads the industry in features and products. Not worried, he seemed to indicate about these fluctuations quarter to quarter. Melissa, back to you. All right, Josh, thank you. We'll check back in with you uh, with any other developments here. Let's trade Amazon here. And, and obviously, going into this quarter, expenses were the primary concern, as always, with Amazon. Operating expenses grew faster than sales growth. In Which this I think quarter. people anticipated. Obviously, not as much because the stock is down significantly in the after hours. But if you look at it, it's not, a, it's not the disaster that I think people want to portray. Yes, I mean, the growth rate in AWS slowed down. So did Azure yesterday. It's still a pretty significant 36% growth rate. Revenue guide, absolutely disappointing. But now you have to ask yourself, everybody's dying to get in this thing a few months ago. What do the levels tell you? Well, I'll tell you exactly what they tell you. The low recently was about 1365 give or take. We made a recent high of 2035 about a month and a half, two months ago. The level that we're at basically right now in the after hours is a 50% retracement of that entire move. Those double tops we've talked about forever have held up. But now you're looking to play offense in Amazon instead of playing defense. In my opinion, if you're selling it here, you're trading wrong. If you were dying to get into this yeah. stock a month ago, would you have been dying to get into it knowing that the holiday quarter would have fallen for 
uh, short of forecasts. Here's, I'll take a different spin on what Guy says, but my glass is half full, too. You have this kind of miss at Amazon historically. Uh, the implied volume this thing would have had it down 15%. I actually think this is a victory. I actually think they've, they've begun to smooth out their business. AWS, while not growing where it is, is clearly, uh, along with Microsoft, these guys are head and shoulders in with Google as a distant third, in my view, are, are taking cloud, of which uh, we're less than 10% of enterprise conversion onto the cloud. I think it's very good news for them. Yeah, I know that Prime Ship and Q4 costs are going to be double what they were in the second quarter. Uh, and if you look at fulfillment costs overall, that's really hurting the margins. So Amazon, which spent a lot of money three, four, eight years ago into their logistics, ERP, warehousing, and suddenly one day gave them the ability to turn it up a notch, is doing the same thing. That doesn't concern me as a shareholder. And I have to tell you, I do think this is an environment where uh, you want to be looking for opportunities to add to Amazon because there's nothing about what they've told me today that, that signals there's a structural problem with the company. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, obviously, it's spend, 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 right? They can afford to do it. So, um you know, that it's down this much, I don't think is, I don't think if you're a bull, and that's part of your thesis on the story, that anything that came out right now should change that. You know, when they give this guidance of 80 to 87.5 billion, that is an enormous range, right? So they're just kind of throwing that out there. That I, I wouldn't read that much into to that as well. So, you know, it's always, it's too expensive for me. This doesn't really change it from, oh, now it's, you know, in the range of excellent value. value. <laughs> so, you know, it's not going to really be my thing, but the thesis is intact. Yeah. Mark? Yeah. So this is one of our core holdings. I would look at this as a buying opportunity. So, you know, I would expect probably a call from a client or two tomorrow to try and figure out what's going on. And basically what I'm going to tell them is a few things. Number one, the weak guidance is pretty typical for Amazon. They are notorious for sandbagging their holiday projections and then just blowing right through them. Right now, they are investing from a position of strength, right? They've got a significant competitive advantage, and they're spending money right now to continue to strengthen that competitive advantage. And it's still too cheap, given the growth that this thing offers over the course of the next few years. I think fair value is 2200 to 2400 on Amazon. All right, stock's down more than 6% right now. Let's get more reaction to Amazon's quarter. Bring in Loop Ventures founder and Fast Money friend Gene Munster. So, uh, Gene, what, what was your take here? Melissa, there's the company and then there's the stock. And let's talk about the stock here. This is a high multiple stock, call it in the mid-50 range, around with Netflix. And you have Google and uh, Facebook kind of in the low 20s, Apple in the high teens. So the bar is high. And the reason why I want to start there is that ultimately for high multiple stocks to move higher, you have to do one of two things, guide for higher revenue or guide for higher earnings. And you're exactly right, is that they typically guide more conservative, but there's a way we can kind of adjust for that. And I'm going to try to strip out all of the, uh, their language around it versus what they typically do. And effectively, this is what we had, is the December guide was the revenue guide was 1% below where the street was at. This is uh, stripping out uh, all of the, uh, some of the psychology they do around it at 1% below. Last quarter, they guided revenue up by 2%. On the earnings side, they guided down by 28% versus 27% last quarter. They didn't deliver on one of those two factors to keep this moving higher. The simple takeaway is this. This is a solid company, but I don't know if the stock is that compelling right here. I think it's somewhere in between because it didn't deliver on one of those two key uh, factors. Gene, uh, you know, when you talk about spending and spending to grow later on, I mean, how do you... How do you view how much spend is going to bring in that additional prime membership or, or whatever your metric would be? 
So the impressive part here was one day. Absolutely, that's going to be the theme on the call. Uh, that should be the focus here. It's been the focus over the last six months. That's yielded incredible returns with the same with the paid unit sales. It was 10% in the March quarter, uh, 18%, now 22%. Essentially, define the laws of physics when it comes to growth. But unfortunately, that massive growth hasn't yielded that upside kind of in the forward outlook. Uh, it, uh, making for adjustments there. So ultimately, to answer your question is, how do I, I view it? It is absolutely the right thing for them to be in this investment mode. It's the right thing for them to push for consumers to think even more broadly about their wallet versus Amazon, and one day is a powerful proposition around that. But ultimately, you need to uh, continue to grow that base of Prime users. Uh, they're at about two-thirds of the U.S. Uh, has Prime memberships. Now, ultimately, that could probably go to 75%, so there is some room for upside. But it does get more difficult to continue to climb, and I think this all circles back to the core underlying question, which is what's the multiple do you pay for that growth outlook? And my belief is we're probably fairly uh, valued right now. Hey, hey, Gene, so that's where I wanted to go with this. So you have a subscription service in Prime. You talk about the growth. Maybe you're nearing some inflection point. We're also about to lap that one-year anniversary of them raising prices 20%. Then you have the AWS subscription service, too. So as an analyst, talk about how you, we do blended mixed multiples on a lot of companies these days. Do you approach it that way? Can we get different multiples and come up with an aggregate? You can. Uh, a lot of people do that. The price targets that when they think about a typical SaaS type of multiple for AWS and more of a kind of a traditional tech multiple for their retail business, you get to uh, call it 20, 25% upside from where the stock is at today, kind of a 20 times EV to EBITDA multiple. So uh, the, the essence of this is I, I don't think uh, that the sum of the parts approach is, is uh, necessarily applies to the stock here. I think the psychology around the growth is critical, and that is ultimately why the stock has continued to move higher is that they've delivered on the growth. And uh, the essence of this is that that power of a one-day shipping needs to sustain beyond one quarter. They need to have that really impact the next four quarters. If they're successful at doing that, growing units at 20% plus in the next three quarters, I think that the stock will move higher. If it ends up kind of drifting back to the mid-teen range, I don't think people are going to be looking at some of the parts. I think they're going to be focusing more on the broader top line. So, Gene, I'm not, I don't want you to play um, stock market here, but I'll ask you just quickly. Do you think we round-trip that, that December low? I think December 17th, thereabouts, stock, as I mentioned earlier, traded down to 1363 or so. Is that in your crosshairs, or is that a complete no, overreach on the downside? I think that's an overreach on the downside, but I do feel that there's just better places to put your money. This isn't, again, great company. It's changed all of our lives. We'll continue to use it a lot, but it's just not a compelling, given what's happening with the fundamentals and the multiple, it just doesn't add up to a compelling buy here. Do you think that regulatory risk or increased regulatory risk will come up on the, on the call, Gene? I'm talking not about what's going on with Europe in terms of using data in order to target customers better, but uh, the cloud and the Capital One hack. Now there's talk that, you know, what if AWS is labeled as a systemically important financial utility? That could open a whole other can of worms for, for Amazon and its business. It's going to come up on the call. The company's not going to say anything. It's one of the most efficient calls uh, on all of, uh, in all of uh, tech uh, earnings calls, but uh, they won't answer that. And I think that uh, you know the piece, just to kind of bring this really to a tight point, is that 
The issue with regulation is pretty simple. It's AWS and retail business, there is very little synergy between the two. The one synergy is AWS uh, creates a lot of cash that funds the retail piece, and I could see regulators seeing that as unfair to traditional retailers or other online retailers. That, to me, is the point of conflict, and I bet it'll take two years to sort that out. Hmm. All right, Gene, we'll check back in with you a little bit later on when that call's underway. Gene Munster of Loop Ventures. Uh, any thoughts here? based on our conversation with Gene. Yeah, so, I mean, I still think the growth is there. I mean, we, we talked about this yesterday. 59% growth for Azure is still 59% growth. 35% growth for AWS is still 35% growth. Um, I think there's a huge opportunity. If you don't have a position in Amazon, you can get one at a, at a very, very fair price. Okay. Let's shift gears from one part of the tech trade to another chipmaker, Intel. Spiking after hours, let's get to uh, John Ford at headquarters with all the details. Hey, John. Melissa, well, um, just listening to the call with CEO Bob Swan talking, I want to bring you the latest there. Of course, just to get uh, the first details out of the way, it was a beat on the top and bottom from Intel far and away. They also raised their full year guidance by $1.5 billion. CEO Bob Swan on the call, though, right now talking about supply, which has been a crucial issue for Intel. They haven't had enough of it. It's been frustrating for PC makers and others who have wanted to get more from Intel. He did just say that they do uh, expect increased output uh, for Q4, that supply uh, will be up double digits, uh, also single digits in 2020, but still that is not enough, he said. He said that they are letting their customers down right now with supply constraints and they've been unable to build out inventory. Now, we have heard before that he's putting a little bit more color into Intel's growth story. I think it's more of the, the Bob Swan uh, manifesto on Intel's growth post Krasanich, talking about AI and the need to build custom-built chips for AI, pointing out that IDC says that in a couple of years, 75% of enterprise applications are going to incorporate AI. And so, therefore, when Intel can tune its chips to artificial intelligence, that makes them more valuable to customers. That perhaps counters uh, some of the supply issues and process technology issues that Intel has had, allows them to have an argument that their technology beyond just process could give them an advantage that will bolster gross margins, perhaps, Melissa. All right, John, thanks. John Ford back at headquarters. By the way, we're going to hear from Intel CEO Bob Swan tomorrow morning at 11 a.m. Eastern time on Squawk Alley. In the meantime, what's our trade here? Well, it's interesting that, you know, I mean, th that was some pretty bullish guidance, right? Yeah. That was interesting to me that they would feel comfortable being that bullish when they really didn't need to because there's a lot of potential uncertainty out there in the next quarter. So they must feel very, very good. And then the data center, I mean, that was... That was really, really impressive. So I think, you know, we talk about it, it's probably better to own here higher than it was this morning lower. lower. Yeah. Yeah, the high margin data center business is, I think, still growing nicely. Uh, the fact that Intel had been, look, the last couple quarters for Intel, the, the outlook was not very good. And, and in fact, they threw a lot of cold water on the sector. And so a lot of people felt it was really their, their business, which wasn't in some of the high growth businesses uh, of the chip chain. But, but uh, you know, you have to be excited by, by how these guys have essentially not only reaffirmed that they actually are seeing growth, that maybe they have to kick up demand because the kick up supply, because demand is actually better than expected. But they talked about China and the impact, and they haven't really seen a major impact. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if that means you, you should be fearful of the eventual, but it's a relief for a company that I think people were certainly priced to the downside on this number. Yeah, data center beaten the revenues by 10%. I mean, that's a pretty big deal. To Tim's point about margins, it all of a sudden makes their operating margins close 
to 36 percent, which is significantly better than the street was looking for. $20 billion is 8 percent or so of their market cap. That's not insignificant. That's one more thing. And valuation, to Karen's point, might be, you can make an argument it's probably cheaper now in this move than it was a couple hours ago. So 54 sort of your breakout level. It's above there now. I think you can stay long in the stock. Two days ago, we were watching the entire sector trade lower well, Texas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Texas right. results, Completely different, right? yeah. Two other, yeah. two other chip makers tell you a very different story. Sure, sure. And now we have Intel. And then you add that with your Taiwan Semiconductor, Teradyne, the, the positive ones. Right. So what's the message of the chip sector in your view? You are getting different stories, right? So I think it all really depends on what the end market is. If you are in growing end markets, you're going to do well. So NVIDIA is a good example of one that we like. End markets would be autonomous vehicles, right? You've got AI, data center, gaming. That's a great play. We also So we, we bailed on, on Intel back in the spring, replaced it with Broadcom. So we like Broadcom. They've got great 5G exposure, which is going to be important over the next year. Uh, good dividend yield, and on top of that, uh, they with their Symantec acquisition, 30% of their revenues are now going to be coming from software. So, and, and the quick takeaway is if you've hooked your wagon to industrials and automotive and those things, it's, it's no bueno in this no. environment, yeah. and that's the that's the dichotomy. Well, I don't understand this. What, no bueno. That mean? You know what that means? <laughs> Not good. Not, oh, you, the more you Thank know, Tim. Thank you. Didn't you have to take language no, in college, I, I, or did you just skate through it? One of the things it? that we pride ourselves on the show is not talking over people's heads. And not no bueno is talking over people's heads. It might be, for some people. Just kidding. Do you have a comment on the now. chip sector? I feel better. Oh, a comment on the chip sector. I think you have, well, no. you have, you have a case here where, uh, look at where semis are trading overall as a group. Um, they've, they've outperformed massively anything in tech. They've certainly massive, massively outperformed the S&P. Uh, Taiwan Semi, which is a, essentially a white-label manufacturer for the industry, is trading at all-time. Highs. I think Taiwan Semi is your biggest take on what's going on and is very impressive. All right, coming up, Visa and Gilead on the move after hours will give you the highlights from their reports, plus Twitter tanking today. But one technician will tell you how to play the stock. We're live in Times Square in New York City. Much more fast money right after this. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back to Fast Money Visa and Gilead, both reporting after the bell. We've got full team coverage. Meg Terrell is all over the Gilead call, but first we begin with Kate Rogers on Visa. Kate. Hi, Melissa. So that call obviously still going on, but Visa out with beats on the top and bottom lines here for the fourth quarter. Payments volume up 9% year over year. Process transactions also increased by 11% to $36.4 billion for the fourth quarter. Client incentives also at $1.7 billion. CEO Al Kelly laid out the company's priorities moving forward in order to continue to be a leader in the space on the call. Take a listen. Drive deeper partnerships with traditional clients. Expand access with new players, including new sellers, fintechs, neobanks, acquirers, and wallets. Increase customer engagement by enabling a variety of platforms and simplifying the payment experience. Extending value-added capabilities across the ecosystem and enabling new money movement with our network of networks. 
The company also announcing a quarterly dividend increase of 20% to 30 cents per share. The stock is up over 30% year-to-date. It had been down in the past three months. It initially got a pop as this earnings report came out. And as you can see, oh, now it's up just slightly again. And anything else we hear from this call, we'll bring to you. All right. Over to you. Kate, thank you. Kate Rogers back at headquarters. Um, On the guidance, it looks like if you dig a little bit deeper, there are a couple of things that might have contributed, like a lower effective tax Tax. rate. And so that, you know, the the bloom is coming off the rose a little bit after hours. Well, also is up almost $5 going into earnings mm-hmm. today, so sort of a front run. I mean, some of those numbers for the guidance are uh, um, revenue up low double digits. I mean, on this scale, that is really Mid-teens tremendous. Mid-teens is what right? I saw. So, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. It's, no, it, that's it's, insane, it's, it's, right? It's Transactions up 11%. They did talk about having to pay banks more. Yeah. Right? So that's, so that's going to hit them on the expense side. So they talked about a $1.69 billion. Um, this is extraordinary, though, when you think about the scale here and to see that kind of growth. And we're seeing across a number, I mean, PayPal, Square, Visa, what, MasterCard will probably, they're going to report, I think, Tuesday, I would expect they have similar kind of growth. It really is incredible. Yeah. It's I'm, expensive. It should be expensive. Um, but but, but I, I'm long MasterCard. Yeah, sorry. Because I'm, I'm a little Amped. flummoxed over, yeah. over the fact that I think mid-teens growth for a company of this size with this type of a revenue stream and predictability is extraordinary. and explains why it's trading at a multiple that it's, it's, it's certainly in the high rent district. Uh, but buying back or sorry, well, adding 20 percent to the dividend, another mega cap company showing how free cash flow accretive they are and how they are giving that back to investors. I think it's great. Yes, we own this stock. It's been a phenomenal performer. There is obviously a a tremendous shift towards us being a cashless economy. Um, And when you look at Visa, it's really an all-weather stock. You know, back in 2009, when credit was down double digits, debit was up, and they've got a good, strong debit card presence. And beyond that, they've got the best margins in the industry at 70%. Low double-digit revenue growth as well, which might even be more interesting. I mean, and I'll say the EPS growth mid-teens, mid-teens in my book, because I can do the math, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, means it's like sort of 16, 16 and a half, which is better than the street was looking for. See what I did there, Tim? Stay with me. I like me. how you no, that's, that's, that's no 14, bueno. 15, That is no bueno. 16 and a half, 17, 18, 19. <laughs> 16 and a half is better than, anyway, whatever. <laughs> My point is no they bueno. beat. And 170 is the level you trade against, and it deserves the 27 times it's trading at next year's earnings. All right, let's move on to Gilead. That stock is falling on its results. Meg Terrell's got the details. Meg. Hey, Mel. It was a pretty in-line quarter for Gilead, but nothing that blew people out of the water. Wall Street reaction coming in essentially along those lines. RBC's Brian Abrahams pointing out, amid other solid results, the company's cancer drug guest, Carta, fell a little short of expectations. Quote, likely to perpetuate skepticism, he says, about the long-term potential of the business. JP Morgan's Corey Kazimov called the quarter, quote, relatively underwhelming, albeit in line. Baird's Brian Scorney, though, was more blunt when I asked him why Gilead's down. Quote, because it's boring. It's like quarter after quarter, he said, about talking about being an innovative company and building an innovative team, but having nothing to show for it. So obviously some frustration becoming apparent there for a stock that's down about 3% over the last year. Lots of questions on the call going on now about M&A, of course. The company finished the quarter with $25 billion in cash. CEO Dan O'Day, however, didn't give big hints about major deals to come, saying on the call, the company's strategy will remain driven by science and where we think the most unique opportunities are in the four therapeutic areas where the company has expertise. Smell, back to you. All right, Meg, thank you. Meg Terrell back at headquarters. I feel like this is an ongoing refrain with Gilead. 
When are you going to do a deal? Gilead should do a deal. They've got plenty of cash on the balance sheet. They're going to do a deal. That's why you buy Gilead. But, and now it looks like they're not doing it. But then they'll get punished for doing a deal that people That's say they stupid. overpaid. So right. they're in a position where they can't. 2019 is sort of the year they want to forget. It's like as a giant fan, mm-hmm. New York football giants. I understand. This is becoming a year we want to forget. And it's the same well, thing with Gilead. Hold on. Hold on. Ahead, 2018 Jim. was the year we wanted it's to forget. It's been the last five years. So I, 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 no, but I actually would argue that that's Gilead as but well. That's, by exactly, the way. that's the point. Exactly like Gilead. That's no bueno. The point. No bueno. <laughs> I, I, I used that already. You can't use it twice <laughs> in one did. show. So the, tw- I mean, this is an 85 billion dollar market cap company with 25 billion dollars. Yeah. That you say, oh my god, the stock is so cheap. Yeah. It's cheap. There's no growth. So as much as I'd like to say you got to buy Gilead with both hands, I played that game for a long time. It doesn't work anymore. They have enough cash on the balance sheet to do something so big that it could be detrimental to them. But they, yes. They've got enough rope to hang themselves. That's out. exactly right. Twenty-five billion dollars on the balance sheet. But good for them for not doing it. Again, when they yeah. did their Cartier acquisition, they, they have done a couple in here, by the way, that were accretive and then completely were, were uh, you know, evaporated out of the share price. But you hear it all the time. The HCV and the HIV franchises are slowly uh, going to a place where they're not going to be material. They are material right now. Uh, and these numbers were a little weak on HCV. They were good on HIV. But um, this is not enough for this company. And yet the street still seems to be overweight on it. Everybody's overweight on the stock, and it's been a bad call for a long time. I've been wrong as well. Yeah, so I think within pharma, you really want to focus on oncology. So, you know, the issue with, um, with Gilead is they have been focusing on HIV, HCV, HCVs on the decline, and, and sales have been on the decline for Gilead since 2015, and there, there's really um, very little chance of them reversing that. They go out, they get this new CEO with more of an oncology background, and they're still not doing much there. So I'd much rather be in a company like Bristol-Myers, where after the Celgene acquisition, 75% of revenue are focused on oncology. All right, up next, it's a tale of two T's. Twitter tanks, Tesla takes off. We'll go uh, to the charts to find out what is next for these stocks. And later, calling foul, why McDonald's could soon ruffle some feathers in the fast food chicken fight. Mm. Stay with us. There's much more Fast Money right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. We are in the thick of it now. Earnings season is off to a strong start with nearly 170 S&P 500 companies already out with their results, most of them beating the street's estimate. But we've also seen some huge, even outsized moves. Twitter, for instance, plunging over 20% today on an earnings miss, while Tesla soared nearly 17%. So how should investors play these big, potentially risky movers? Todd Gordon, founder of TradingAnalysis.com, is over at the Plasma to chart it out. Hey, Todd. 
hey, Melissa, yeah, isn't it unbelievable? Like, what kind of alternate universe we live in with, uh, with Twitter down and Tesla up 17 or 18 percent? But we've seen a lot of sort of reversals within these ranges that are driving the overall markets. I think we're seeing a lot of oversized reactions, to your point, Melissa, but we are, it's in the context of a very range-bound environment. And to kick it off, I mean, look at Tesla. It's just unbelievable range here. 400 on the top side, 200 was, was the site of a lot of nasty short sellers who got squeezed, well contained. Uh, this is the weekly chart. And then you get down to the daily. I mean, obviously a big, big move up here. Um, if you were a shareholder in Tesla, what do you do with this? I personally am not holding it. But what I would caution is, is a market typically likes to close the gap. And there was such a big unexpected gap, a lot of good news in Tesla, um, that I think a lot of people were caught on, on the long side of the trade. So if you were to see a little bit of a gap closure, that's not uh, out of the realm of expectation. So I don't want to clear it to go to the next chart. I just want to get the circle out. Um, if we do go back and do a 265 gap close, I would say don't panic on that. It's very natural. You'd want to see that hold. And then how high could we go? I don't know, potentially 400. You know, you Tesla haters would say you're crazy with the fundamentals, but remember, it's always darkest before dawn. So from a chart-following point of view, watch the upper end of the range. The other one, unbelievable, Twitter. I am a shareholder in Twitter. I don't like the action here. We've broken a very key uptrend support here. The line in the sand for me on Twitter is going to be these old lows. If we get below 26.5 in Twitter, I'm going to have to cut the position. The premise is wrong and just get out. But I just... Just keep in mind that, you know, the overall kind of reaction is overblown within a very big range here. And I think once we get range resumption, then you could be a little bit more of a trend follower. So don't overreact here. Question on Tesla, Todd. Where'd you get that 400 number? Just the upper end of the range over the last couple of years. Okay. Just the upper end, yeah. All right. And, and what will make you more convinced that it would reach that 265 and hold and then... Next stop, 400? Uh, I, I'm not going to project that we're going to break to the upside again. Um, if the underlying fundamentals continue to improve, I think we overreacted a little bit because we had some good news out of China. The, the onboarding of the China Gigafactory, anything related to China with good news, I think was kind of bought with a lot of enthusiasm. So um, maybe, you know, maybe we get up towards three and a quarter. I, I, I don't know. I think there's a lot of short interest. It was, it was nasty trying to break down through 200, watching those shorts cover. The new longs come in, momentum traders get in. So I think we're still in the process of covering that short uh, with such a compelling, weak fundamental story. So the trend is your friend. I'm not going to put an upside target on it. Let's say you're short and you're still short. What would you do here, Todd? I'm just asking for a friend named Tim. <laughs> Hi there. Uh, oh, like, I, don't, I don't know. It, what do you do? I mean, put, it, put a stop. Define your risk. You, you always get into a trade, maybe not so much an investment, but you always get into a trade, especially name as, as volatile as, as Tesla, with a plan. At what point, what percent of your portfolio you're risking on this? That should have been decided before you get into a name like Tesla. Tim's a professional. I'm sure he has a stop on there. Um, so, Tim, what's your stop? Sorry, on Tesla? What's your stop? 320, 325. But, but you know, the, the bigger point for me is the fundamentals around this story. Yeah. I, I want to see uh, quarter over quarter how we went with essentially the same sales profile and completely changed the cash flow profile. And, and I think the company, to their credit, has done a great job of pulling forward revenue, of pushing off on a lot of expenses. There's $6 billion in payables and off-balance sheet liabilities. There's a lot of issues, I think, on demand. Um, there's nothing about the fundamental story to me that changed quarter over quarter or that I would suddenly say, oh, wow, they figured this out. I don't think they figured out anything. Um, I think they figured out how to... You know, 
play play with accounting. Um, those numbers, let's call them fine and, and accurate. But I do think that there's a lot of ability to take in deferred revenue uh, and to actually decide where you can actually start to record some of the liabilities. So it doesn't change anything. Todd's yeah. right. You, you need to define risk with a name sure. like this for sure. If anything, I think from an options perspective, I think over the next couple months, there's two ways to play it. I think you play it for a, a two-month play into somewhere where uh, I think all of the good news of, the, of yesterday, we will slowly get more details on the balance sheet. And I think you can actually, obviously, buy downside vol at a relatively cheap level to where you were yesterday. But, right. Melissa, can I, can I push last my luck word, on the Todd. last caller? Last quick word. Twitter, uh, overreaction pushed XLC down. I think those options look pretty good. We've got eight more companies, top ten out of holding XLC. I think there's a lot of good stuff coming in those communications. I think Twitter creates an opportunity, and it's Sector Spider XLC. Watch that. All right, Todd, thank you. Good to see you, Todd Gordon, tradinganalysis.com. Let's get our take. Twitter reported this morning, so this is our first take here on Twitter. Guy? I'm disappointed for many reasons, not least of which the fact that they used July and August seasonality as an, ex- as an excuse. I mean, seasonality by definition <laughs> yes. is seasonal. But maybe it was worse than it typically is. What do I know? But July and August are historically pretty lousy. They shouldn't have used that, in my opinion. It is now round trip back to where we were. Remember when they changed their metrics? They went from getting away from active users. Stock traded down to 29 and a half. It was off to the races ever since. I think you buy it again here. Granted, I never thought we'd see these levels ever again. But here we are. I think you've got to take a shot. This is the most inopportune time for Twitter to have issues with their advertising platform. Engagement should remain elevated all the way through the election next year. And it looks like these issues with their advertising platform is going to continue all the way through 2020. So big issue for them. Does Google or Facebook benefit from this? I don't know. I'm concerned. I don't know if they also are having the same problem. My hope and guess is not. But uh, I don't love that part of it. Coming up, we are gearing up for the busiest week for earnings, and options traders are looking to hang up on one name that reports on Monday. We'll tell you who that is. Plus, Amazon's earnings call is now underway. We'll break down what's got the stock moving lower here. Uh, Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. The earnings parade continues into next week. AT&T kicking things off on Monday, reporting bright and early before the bell, and options traders aren't convinced the results will be enough to keep the stock's momentum flowing. Mike Coe's at the Plasma to break down the action. Hey, Mike. Hi there. Yeah, so taking a look at the last eight quarters, AT&T has averaged moves of just under 5%. The options market is expecting a move somewhat more modest than that. Right now it's implying a move of about 4.5%. Today's activity was not particularly bullish despite how the stock has behaved this year. A lot of the trades were bearish. Some of them were more neutral in nature. The largest of those is the one we're going to be talking about here. We saw a seller of 2,700 of the November 22nd weekly, 40 strike calls for just 18 cents. So the seller of these calls is obviously making the bet that the stock's not going to rally through that 40 strike price certainly not by the amount of premium that they're collecting, which is relatively modest at just 18 cents a share here. So they're basically betting that the stock is going to stay below 40, or, and I'm guessing that they probably own the stock, that they would be willing to sell it at that level. And we can see that the stock has obviously performed very well so far this year, but basically they're drawing a line in the sand and saying, this is the level where I'd be willing to get out. Now, here's something to think about. Why would somebody sell calls and collect less than half a percent of the current stock price? Well, one, obviously, is that they would be willing to sell it there. The other is, though, that looking at the past 11 years, only three instances has the stock actually gone up enough where these actually would have been in the money. Had you sold these, you would have averaged about 40 (coughs) basis points of incremental return in the course of just one month. So 
you can see why someone might be inclined to do this. It's a very high probability bet, but obviously they're collecting very little to do it. All right. Uh, Tim, you own this. I do. And, and so if you look at the charts, first of all, you're, you're kind of back to that. The, today's move took you back to that pre-Elliott announcement where I think the market believed that, that the Elliott um, activism is something that's going to push for change in terms of either uh, – People outside of the company coming into the C-suite. Uh, to me, the story here is the fact that the cellular business is now in a place where I, I think it's actually stabilized dramatically. Uh, the media business is really where the jury is out. What's going to happen with HBO Max? What's going to happen with their streaming service? Uh, but the, it's a case where I do like some of the parts here, and I do think in terms of the media valuations that have come a long way back. Remember where we were two and a half years ago? Um, some of these companies have the ability to re-rate, and this is a media company. All right. Mike, thank you. We'll see you tomorrow. Uh, that's when the full show happens. Uh, tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, a game of chicken. Mm. Why there could be a new challenger emerging in the fast food chicken wars. Oh. You've got the delicious details ahead. Plus, check out Amazon in the red on the back of its results. A company conference call is now underway. We'll bring you the very latest in the C-suite. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back right after this. Chicken dance. What it is. Welcome back to Fast Money. The fast food chicken fight is back on. Popeyes is bringing back its beloved chicken sandwich. But this time they're calling in backup. The company's reportedly planning to hire more employees to help meet demand. Apparently 400 employees. But they're not the only ones hatching plans. Oh, Analysts from KeyBank saying today they expect McDonald's to enter the chicken coop and to serve their own chicken sandwich next year. So, Guy, yes, which Melissa. stock are you feeling up? Uh, Peckish on. Apropos of nothing, by the way, I just, you know, Pink is a huge fan of Fast Money. That performer, the Pink. Stop, stop I'm it. Just, the Pink. The, it's, it's, yeah. Oh, it's Pink. Just Pink. pink. It's not pink. the Pink. She, she and it's with it. There's no article. No so why are we talking about yeah. this? I think that, listen, by the way, we that did That was a, really random we because did, that had no, nothing to do with anything. It had nothing to do with the chicken. It just popped in your brain remember and decided we did the to blur chi- it No, out. I found I'm out. Remember, chicken, we did the, remember we did the chicken taste test a few weeks back? How yes. can I forget? And you, I said you, how... You lost, by the way. I did lose because Wendy's, by yes. the way, we did from the yes. dollar yes. menu. Yes, there Look at me with the blindfold. I look back. I look back. Good times. But what I'll tell you is... Your shirt's pink. Oddly enough, as it turns out. What I'll tell you is I think the softened McDonald's, in my opinion, is overdone. People will point to valuation. I think if you want to play a space, regardless, chicken or no chicken, and that chicken dance, by the way, if you're getting married and you've ever played that, don't it. We'll just play it here now. Invite me. Repeatedly. Repeatedly. I mean, this has been a huge drop because even though McDonald's gained share in hamburgers, they lost because of the Wendy's Nuggets and because of the Chick-fil-A and... People yeah, aren't going Popeyes. to McDonald's for chicken sandwiches. I mean, I they've, 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 but they could, you, they could <laughs> the artisan, Yeah, the artisanal the, chicken sandwich. At the kiosk. That's there for. That's and the kiosk. kiosk. I love yeah. the kiosk. Yeah, so, I mean, McDonald's, when you think of McDonald's, you think about burgers, right? Um, I like QSR. We don't own any of these fast food Restaurant stocks. Brands, uh-huh. Yeah, we don't own any of these fast food stocks because they're all expensive. Although, with the pullback in restaurant brands, it is becoming more attractive. you got Burger King, which we like. Popeyes is definitely strong. I mean, any day of the week, I take a Whopper over a Big Mac, right? It's just it's a better, better sandwich. Um, plus, you got a 3% yield on, on uh, restaurant brands. So. All right. Shares of Amazon on the move in the back of its earnings release will bring you all the headlines with that conference call underway right now. And take a look at our Kramer cam. Tonight, Jim is laying out one group of stocks that are heading for a breakout. He's got that and much more. Top of the hour on Mad Money. Meantime, we're live at the Nasdaq and Times Square. Much more Fast Money right after this. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Square, tearing it up today, gaining more than 5%. The payment stock riding PayPal's wave after that company had an 8% post-earnings surge. But also check this out. Square CEO Jack Dorsey tweeting out that now you can buy stocks on the Square-owned cash app, commission-free and in any denomination you wish. Square is also letting users trade fractions of a stock so investors can buy a portion of a pricey name like Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, Dorsey saying this will make buying stocks and building wealth accessible to more people. So did Square just deal another big blow? to the online brokers. Could this actually be good for Square's own business, Karen? I don't think that buying partial shares is in itself Mm -hmm. anything for Square's business, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But I do think the evolution of Square is wanting to be your bank, wanting to be your asset manager, wanting to be all of it, wanting to be your lender, wanting to be your software provider is really interesting. So the stock is up, I think, about 10% for the year. It's not cheap by most metrics. It is down, I think it touched 100 at one point last year, very briefly. It's expensive, but I, I, I think the story is somewhat compelling. I like Square Cash. I like Square Capital. Um, I, I like that they sold Caviar to focus more on their business. So there's a lot to like at Square. Yeah. Guy? UBS initiated, I think, $81 price target. The report in November, yes, it is expensive. But to Karen's point, this was a $100 item. Not that that matters. It's had a significant move to the downside. $60 held a bunch of times. I'm with her. I don't think this in and of itself is a big deal, but it's giving them a sort of an entree into a lot of different businesses. So I do think against $60, you can own this stock. If you're TD, if you're Schwab, if you're, you know, any of these other broke E-Trade, mm-hmm. are Look, you worried? I, I think they, are, they have different concerns, and we've talked about them over the last couple of weeks where we've had these issues with you know, essentially zero-cost commissions or no commissions. Um, but the dynamic, I think, for uh, those companies is about balance sheet retention and where they're getting their online uh, traders into loans and other services that I think are higher margin. With regard to Square, as Karen pointed out, I mean, first of all, Square Cash and the ability for them to have the stickiness of their platform and cross-selling is really part of the story there. And I think part of where we're going to continue to see these guys surprised. The, the, the stock is one of the most volatile stocks that you could have invested in in the last 12 months. And I think finding a range around this $60 to, to, to support, it looks like it's found it. Square, PayPal, pay, PayPal or none of the above? Uh, I'm going to go with Visa. We own both Visa Ooh. and PayPal. Visa is my favorite. Um, so when we look at uh, at Square, he took an adventure. S- what did he do? He, did. Yeah. He, chose, he chose his own adventure. Was that allowed? Within the none Apparently. of the above category. <laughs> Go ahead. So, um, you know, the, the valuation on Square is far too rich, which, you know, everyone else has already said. Um, but, you know, they're getting into a business where I'm, I'm not quite sure how it's going to positively impact them from a monetization standpoint. This is probably something that's geared more towards millennials. So I don't know that it's really I don't know that they're competing against Schwab and TD. They're more or less going for those savers that, that Robinhood is working with right now. Um, but quite frankly, I wouldn't want to own any of these brokerage firms right now because there's just way too much fee compression. Switching gears here, shares of Amazon still lower after the uh, results, after the bell for the latest. Let's get to Josh Lipton. He's been listening in on that conference call. Hey, Josh. So, Melissa, uh, Amazon CFO Brian Olsavsky on the call with analysts. First question right off the bat was on that revenue guidance for that critical holiday quarter. Obviously disappointed. Uh, he said, we're excited about the holiday season. They made rapid progress on one-day shipping. There are some issues, he said, that investors need to be aware of. The timing of certain big holidays in India, uh, the Japanese consumption tax kicking in. It means there's going to be certain headwinds, he said, to international growth, at least in Q4. Company is in investment mode to make good on free one-day shipping. So spend $800 million 
in each of the last two quarters to expand that free one-day delivery program. They spent another $1.5 billion in Q4, but the CFO uh, explained those costs and saying why he thinks it's a smart investment, says we're very pleased with the customer response to one day. And you can see that, he told analysts, in our revenue acceleration and also in our unit growth acceleration. More spending, though, for AWS as well. In fact, he says we're going to be investing, he says, a lot more this year, in his words, specifically there in Salesforce and marketing personnel. Melissa, back to you. All right, Josh, thank you. Uh, for more reaction to the results, let's bring back in Loop Ventures founder Gene Munster. He's also been on the red phone listening to the conference call. So, Gene, any uh, juicy developments? Melissa, really two developments. One is on that December revenue guide that we talked about being a little bit softer than typical, even their typical soft guide, is that I felt they gave a compelling explanation for that. The number of holiday days for in the U.S. this year, they talked about a holiday in India, that timing shifting, and also some uh, taxes starting in Japan that pulled some buying into the September quarter. So I feel like that is uh, something that will, in, in fact, pass and kind of sets up the March quarter for potential revenue upside, guidance upside. On the opposite end, on the expense end, they talked a lot. The first three questions were about one-day delivery, and the CFO mentioned that they're still early in the U.S. and have been investing this quarter a billion and a half dollars, and they said that we still haven't started the international piece. One-day shipping is working. Unit growth has jumped from 10 to 22% in the last two quarters. They will likely roll this out uh, internationally, and I suspect that that is probably setting the table for a year, two years of investment mode. One to two years of investment mode. All right. Um, what's your grade, Gene? I'm going B minus. Uh, One-day shipping is working, but didn't yield that top-line uh, uh, punch that we really needed. Uh, great company, but I don't see it being a great stock in the near term. All right, Gene, thank you. Great to see you. Gene Munster of Loop Ventures. Thank you. B minus, one to two years of investment. Are you still glass half full? Yeah, I'm still glass half full because I, I think we've had these periods with Amazon before. That we knew going into these numbers there was a trade off between one day prime and margins. Um, I, you know, Professor Munster, first of all, that's a, he teaches a tough class, yeah, and does. I think he's looking at some very difficult issues. Uh, structurally, I think there's nothing wrong here. Um, but I do think I'd be more worried about margins as it relates to AWS, where I think there's going to be a lot of competition in the cloud. And I think that's been a very high margin business for them. Mm-hmm. Mark? Short-term pain for long-term gain, right? So they are spending very heavily right now, but they're strengthening their competitive advantage. And whenever Amazon ratchets up spending, it spooks investors and the stock price comes down. Then in about a year or so, they're going to turn that profit spigot back on and investors are going to come back. Stock's going to go up. All right. Up next. Final trade. Final trade time, Tim. Yeah, I think people have been looking for an opportunity to buy a pullback in AT&T. Today is fundamentally fine. Into numbers, I'd buy it. Karen? Yes, I'm giving up on eBay. I was there for the restructuring, but the fundamental part of the business isn't what I hoped for, so I turned a good trade into an eh one. I'm done. All right. Mark? Activision, so Call of Duty Mobile, 100 million downloads in week one. Call of Duty Modern Warfare comes out tomorrow. It's going to be a hit. Buckle up. We mentioned last night that Tim Seymour on the hook over there. Rocktoberfest. Rocktober. Be playing across the street. You yes. can't see it over my shoulder, but at the hard rock. Thank you. So if you're in the area, you, just, you should go just to see Absolutely. Tim and dance. That's worth <laughs> the price of admission. The Valero Quarter was equally outstanding. VLO. All right. Get you done. See you back here tomorrow at 5. More Fast Mad Money. Jim Cramer starts right now.
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.